0: This morning, the feeling that we're gonna learn about is the feeling of envy. How to respond when our hearts are jealous, when when they see someone else, and they measure us compared to them, and we come out lower. And and what happens when we feel that feeling? We don't want to, but we do. Uh, Envy, that sour feeling, when you see how far you are behind your peers. And I know this, that we have innumerable ways to measure ourselves against others and come out lower than we wish. Uh, envy uh, is that feeling that every time they do better, it makes you feel worse, and, and it's awful. It makes it impossible for you to rejoice in your, uh, the successes of the people around you. You can't be happy for your coworkers uh, promotion, or when your friend tells you he finally met the right girl, you congratulate him, uh, but every time he mentions the upcoming wedding, you feel resentment, and you deeply hope that it's some kind of internet scam. Envy (laughs) makes you angry when your friend gets pregnant since you've been trying unsuccessfully, And, and though you smile when she tells you, inside you feel horrible, and you feel horrible for feeling horrible. Envy's like that. The only time it makes you happy is when you're imagining the failure of that other person and the happiness you feel imagining that is a sick kind of happiness and you know it deep down inside. Unlike other feelings, there is no upside to envy. Uh, it's been uh, a month now that we've been talking about feelings. Each one of them has its upside, anger. We talked about anger. Uh, anger's bad when it gets out of control but there's something good in the kind of anger you feel at injustice and so it has an upside. Uh, fear is like that as well. Nobody wants to be controlled by fear, but sometimes fear can help you, uh, from, uh, prevent you from going in the, in the wrong direction where you're going to do something dangerous and stupid. A Shame even has its upside. Sometimes we need to feel concerned about our actions because they're the wrong ones, and sometimes shame can help us see it. There is no upside to the feeling that we're talking about this morning. A very old definition describes envy as sorrow, for my neighbor's good, grief in me in response to his success, feeling bad when she feels good because her joy somehow diminishes mine without inspiring me to improve, only making me wish for her failure. Envy is not the same as the pure ambition which sees a goal and wishes for it and then tries to get it. It's different than that. It's the kind of twisted aspiration that would feel even happier if the other fell back than if I moved forward. Do you know this feeling from the inside yourself? Defined in this way, envy is the opposite of charity, which wishes for my neighbor's good. And since Jesus tells me that the most important good I can pursue includes loving my neighbor as myself, it means that envy makes it impossible for me to do one of the most important things that Jesus named. Dwell on that for a minute. Loving God and loving neighbor as self, according to Jesus, sums up the whole law. And when there's a feeling that makes me want to see my neighbor fail, it's the opposite of the law the law of love which Jesus gives. And that's the main reason why as a church this morning we're gonna dwell on envy. Because what we want is to learn what to do when we are feeling envious. How to feel that feeling, okay? And notice, not how not to feel it because we're going to feel it. We live in an environment that feeds upon making us envious. Uh, This is an aside. The, the, The economic system we live in breeds on envy when it makes me want the thing that the other person has which I don't and convinces me that I will only feel good when I have it, it's envy that is beneath so much of our economy. That's another message. But envy is all around us, do you know that? It is. And so what we need to learn is what to do when we're feeling it. How to feel that feeling which we would rather not but which every maturing adult experiences. If you think of envy as a poison which you drink, we need to learn how to spit that poison out so that the way we feel is the way that Jesus has freed us to feel. And this is really the heart of it. Jesus comes to each one of us and he frees us. That's why he came. And he wants us to free us uh, not only from the effects of sin after we die. Of course, that is his ultimate gift to us. But even now, he wants to free us for real life. So wherever you struggle with envy, Jesus comes this morning and wants to free us. For anyone who struggles with it, there's really good news. And the good news is that God's word offers genuine help for the envious. And so what we're going to do this morning is first, we're going to get a clear understanding of what's happening inside of us when we're feeling envy. Okay, I'm going to play the role of a physician who's going to do some diagnosis for you, okay, on the inside, what happens? And I'm gonna do that so that after that diagnosis is there, we can have the prescription that comes from God's word to meet the ailment of envy. Sound good? Okay, so let's begin first thinking carefully about what happens when we're feeling envious. I want you to imagine it something like this. You find yourself in an environment where someone close by becomes an occasion for you to feel diminished inside because of their success and in that moment you're feeling envy and imagine it like this. Imagine that envy is a friend inside of you who's whispering things in your ear and without being aware of it, you're following the guidance that envy is giving you. Can you imagine it like that? And here's the first, I'm gonna show you five words that envy says to you. The first word that envy says to you is compare. Look at that other person over there. And now put beside that person a picture of you, Envy says. And always it will get somebody who's close to you, someone who's kind of within your reach, but they're a little bit ahead of you. They excel in a way that you wish you excelled, but you don't quite yet. They're proficient or skilled in an area that matters to you, but you're not as far along as they are. And then Envy says, put those two pictures side by side and notice the differences. See how you are behind and how they are ahead. Envy always makes you focus on the worst of you and the best in them. And, and the trick, which envy does not want you to see, is right from the beginning, this exercise in comparison is fatally flawed because, envy doesn't want you to know this, I'm gonna tell you, because you see yourself from the inside out and you see everyone else from the outside in. And because of that, There is a flaw right from the start with this procedure of comparing. Do you know how you always put your best foot forward and you only let others see the best in you? Do you know how you do that? Would you admit it this morning? Yes? Everyone you compare yourself to is also doing the same thing. And so it means your picture of you is worse than it actually is, and your picture of them is better than it actually is. And that's the first word that envy whispers in your ear, compare. Now, it takes this process of comparison further forward, dragging you down a little bit more when it adds a second word. And the word is reduce. Envy tells you, reduce the person that you compare yourself with to a quantity, which can be measured against the corresponding quantity you assign to yourself. Reducing both of you to a number, envy measures you and that other as if you are things rather than persons. At different times in our lives, envy uses different numbers to trap us. How many kids came to my birthday party? What is the number that I receive on my report card? What's the number that I get on the SAT, or whatever test matters to you? What was my class, what's my number for my class rank? What's my starting salary? What is my investment portfolio? Every single one of them, a quantity which envy wants you to reduce yourself to so that you can find someone who's a bit ahead and be resentful that they are further ahead of you. And that kind of reduction reducing your worth to a quantity. And maybe it's not money or grades, but you know it's some figure that reduces you and that other person to something far less than you truly are. But whatever number, it it does that with envy. Then it sets you up for a third word. Now you're ready to hear this third word. It adds to compare and reduce the word compete. And now it's just not to notice the differences, but it, it is that that person is converted from being a potential Companion or colleague of yours into a competitor, making you wish that you. Uh, were further along than they are, but, uh, making you desire that they would fall back, not inspiring you to become better, but wishing that they would diminish, making you feel sorrow for your neighbor's success, belittling yourself and wishing to pull the other down. These three words are the words which envy whispers to each and every person, regardless of their faith, whatever they believe about God. But then it goes further, in a way which is especially insidious to those who want to follow Jesus. And so if that's you, you have to listen up especially here. Because the next two words I'm gonna share are especially effective for those who have decided, Jesus is my Lord and I wanna follow him. If you've not decided that, try it out. He is your Lord and you should follow him. The fourth word which Envy says is depart. Depart from the unique path that God himself is waiting for you to walk on. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you don't know, God in his wisdom and in his grace has already carved out a path for you and you will only live when you walk on it. That's the only way to real life. And what God wants is so desperately for you to get on that path. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you should know that already, that there's a calling that God has for you. But what envy tells you to do is depart from that path. Use your imagination. Here's how it works. The moment you're looking at another person and wishing you were further along than they were, you are projecting yourself onto their path, but it's their path, not yours. And the only way you could go further than they are is by displacing them on their path, and that's only possible when you depart from the path that God made for you to walk on. And here is where envy envy gets especially insidious for people like us because we have been given a wonderful calling, every single one of us, and it's the calling, first of all, to walk on our path, the one that God made us to walk on. But when I look over there and I feel sorrow at my neighbor's success, I, I place myself imaginatively on someone else's path, and that only happens when I depart mine. Now, there's a fifth word which envy speaks, once I've departed. And this one is the hardest to hear, We think Envy is saying something like this to us. It's not fair that they should have that blessing which is withheld from you. Envy says that to us. Or God should bless you if he's going to bless them. Why would God do that? That's not right. There's something unjust about this difference here. That's what it sounds like Envy is saying, but the single word which is captured in these phrases is this, languish. Languish means to waste away and to die because you have been planted in in a situation which is unfavorable to growth. Desert flowers languish when there's no rain. And you languish when you let envy tell you that they shouldn't have it, you should. That it's unfair and unjust. And in that moment when you give in to that invitation, you Become less of who God meant you to be, so that instead of achieving the potential which is in you, because you are God's own possession, and because He crafted you so that you personally would thrive, instead of that, you become the kind of shriveled up person who brings nothing at all into the world. And 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 all of us, all of us here, will be tempted to listen to all five of these words. Look at them. Uh, envy is clever. And in fact, I would say that we live in a time in which technology has become especially proficient at fostering envy in us. It's like an instrument that can induce it as soon as it buzzes there in your pocket. And you pretend you're taking notes during the sermon, but you're just checking. (laughs) And listen, I know a lot of you take notes on your phone, so you don't have to explain that that's what you're doing. I see it. I'm with you. Okay, I get it. (laughs) But this is the critical thing. Listen to this. When you listen to the voice of envy in these five, what happens effectively when you do it is that you are building yourself a prison in which you are placing your heart. That's what it's like. Constrained and limited in your vision, your growth is halted and your potential is stifled. Each bit of guidance from envy effectively shackles you and your heart becomes Uh, like a prisoner behind bars, and it's absolutely miserable. And if you have struggled with it, I know the misery of it because I can find myself tempted by it as well. There's nothing worse than being imprisoned in envy. Now listen to this. Jesus came to free prisoners. That's who he is. He's the one who comes to liberate captives and to set the prisoners free. And he has the might and the strength to do it, to break any bar and to shatter any chain. And he has the authority to do it as well because he is the Lord. He's the one who made you and everything that you've ever experienced. And what Jesus does with his power and his authority is he comes to the prisoners to set them free, exactly where they're, they're imprisoned. And of course, there are innumerable ways to be trapped in life, but one of them is, is the pathway that comes when you listen to envy and let it trap you, feeling less than always, looking down on yourself, being depressed because you're not as far along as they are. Jesus knows exactly what you're experiencing there, and he comes to you even now with his word of grace, which wants to liberate you and take you out of the prison that you are in. Jesus was teaching uh, men and women who had no idea how much he loved them, who, who couldn't even grasp how clearly he already knew exactly who they were, who had no idea the benevolence that he felt for them as their Lord. And there he confronted those people who were trapped with these words. This is John chapter eight. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Here's Jesus' word of liberation. If you will continue in my word, Jesus says. By that, he means if you'll be a person who doesn't just open yourself to what I have to say once, but if you have a heart that is inclined toward me so that you can listen to what I have to say. If you're a person who puts her heart into my hands, Jesus is saying, then you will know the truth which will otherwise elude you, and that truth will make you free. For each one of the lies which envy speaks to us, and we listen, Jesus, the word, the one who is the word of God. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus is called in Greek, the logos, the word who was with God and who was God in the beginning, and the one who spoke existence Uh, All of existence, all of creation into existence. This word speaks with unique authority as the one and only God of creation, who, if we will listen to him in the word of God, will liberate us from every lie that envy uses to entrap us. And so here now it's time for the medicine. Uh, It's time for uh, the truth to set beside the lies of envy. And if we if we listen at each At each word that envy speaks, we can have from God's word a corresponding truth that will free us from the places where envy traps us. Let's start with the first word that we consider, which envy tells us, which is compare. When envy says compare, and you start looking at that other person, listen now. Jesus says to you, stop looking at them. You are wonderfully made. I know exactly what I was doing when I made you. You can't see them truly. You only see the image they're showing. Stop looking at them and look at you. If you, this is what Jesus says to you, if you could grasp the complexity of all of the many ways that through your long life I've been twisting and bending every failure and hurt and pain toward my own purposes in the present to make you the unique person that you are right now. If you could see every bit of energy that I'm expending to even in the present continue to craft you for all of the things that you don't know which are ahead, which are are going to come to you in the future, if you could see that, it would frighten you, Jesus says. You are made Wonderfully. That's what God's word declares about each of us. Look at Psalm 139, where the poet who knows God reflects and says these words to God in verse 13 It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. Jesus says to us, Just as you are, you have been made by God, you are his unique creation. Even before you were born, I was at work like an artisan, designing you with all of your differences from that other person on purpose. Don't compare, recognize how wonderful you are. That's good medicine from God's word, don't you think? It's the truth and you are invited to take it to heart every time you're tempted by envy to compare. What about the second word? When envy tells you to reduce, trying to convince you to reduce the wonder of God's creation in you to a number. Uh, Let yourself be real about you right now. What are the quantities that you have been tempted to equate with your worth? And, And as many of us as there are in here, that's how many possible answers there are to this, but for each of us, it will be something real. Jesus' truth says, don't reduce. Life is more than a number whatever that number is, Jesus says that. You need only to listen to his word to be free. Look at what he says in Luke twelve fifteen. Take care, Jesus warns, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. A possessions are one thing to be greedy for but not the only thing. There are innumerable things which can capture our hearts, drawing them Uh, to reduce ourselves to the quantification of that, whatever it is. Jesus said this originally to two brothers who were fighting with each other over the inheritance that fell to them because their parents died. Do you think people nowadays still fight over inheritance with their siblings? (laughs) Think about what each was doing. They saw a future picture of their brother and themselves. They reduced those pictures to a number and they compared them. And Jesus wanted to liberate them from that. And he wants to liberate us from every pattern where we we reduce ourselves to how many likes or how many followers or how many admirers we have or whatever it is. Jesus says, set that aside. Your life is not about that. That's not what it's about. Instead, when you feel low and resentful because they have more, Jesus invites you to refuse the reduction of you or anyone else to a number and instead to look to the things in life which cannot be counted up. Which are good and gifts from God Himself. Have you got some things in your life which can't be quantified, but when you think of it, are actually really wonderful nonetheless? Yes or no? Yes, you do. Now dwell on them for a moment. Be rich in those things. Be rich in benevolence toward others, be rich in selflessness. Be rich in lifting another person up instead of tearing them down or wanting to in your own mind. Forget about you. Be rich in all those things. Now, the moment you begin to pursue benevolence and kindness like that, envy is clever enough to turn even that into a way that you obey the third word, compete. How much better you are than all these other so-called Christians, envy will say. You're so much further along. Look, if you're not there at all, you're like, no, I'm a real stinker and I know it, fine. You're going to listen to Envy's invitation to compete, but Jesus liberates you from that. If you think you're worse than they are, if you think you're better than they are, Jesus wants to liberate you from that temptation as well by saying, no, 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 don't compete. And this is the word of God for every human being. Do not compete, cooperate. We all need to hear this. Planet Earth needs humanity to set aside competition and begin cooperation. Don't you know that? And you need it. You need it in school. You need it at work and in your family and in church. You need to set aside all of the competing and embrace instead cooperation. And when you look at someone who's different than you are and you're tempted to compete with them, the categorical mistake that you are involved in is that you don't know that God made that person better than you are at that thing on purpose. And that's not something to be upset about because he's made you better than they are at something else also on purpose. Can I liberate this all of us from this idea that we're all equal in every way? Of course we're not. There are a lot of people who are really, really talented and way better at you, better than you are at some things that you'll never be as good at as they are. And that's okay because you're better than they are at other things. And what we need is to cooperate with each other instead of always trying to be better than one another. Because when we do that, then we'll embrace God's unique design of humanity and we'll work together in a way that we achieve far more than if we all were just as good as everyone else at everything that they did. Look at these words. These were the words of Paul to describe this dynamic in one church in Corinth. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That is Paul's way of saying, you are not as good as that person over there is at seeing. You're better at hearing than they'll ever be. And God did that on purpose. You're not as good as they are by his design, and they're not as good as you are by his design. God himself made a choice when he made each and every one of us to give us unique aptitudes and strengths. And so when envy tempts us away from seeing that into this comparison, we lose the benefit of cooperation. Now, when habit has trained our eyes always to be looking to others, wishing we were ahead of where they are, then envy invites us to that fourth thing we noted, which is to depart from the path that God has set before us. And what we need then, when that word depart comes, is to hear Jesus tell us to persevere on our unique paths. Don't depart, stay on it. Now I going to tell you this, it might, be, it might seem like a, a secret that you think you're the only one who knows right now, but I wanna tell you this, every single man and woman who tries to follow Jesus finds that the path is so hard that it would be easy to depart. I've met hundreds of, of people trying to follow Christ over the years as a pastor, who, who when they've sat down with me and open up, they say, I had no idea how hard it would be to walk this path. And, and coming to grips with that has made them think, there must be something wrong with me uniquely. And so I must depart from it. And, and, and Envy is just brilliant at it because all it does is give that person some false image of another Christian who's got it easy and that's just enough to make them give up. But, but it's a lie. Every path that, uh, that people who are following Jesus walk is a hard path. Do you know this? Can we say something louder? Yes? yes? The reason I want you to say that is so anyone who thinks they're alone in it is freed from that lie. And what Jesus does when we're tempted by envy to depart is he gives us this word, look at this, this is from the book of Hebrews, it's so good. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. First of all, let us run the race that is set before us, not the race that is set before someone else. And God in his wisdom and his goodness sets a unique race before each one of us. We're all going uh, in the same direction, but by different routes and we have different races to run. We're all invited to run the race where we accept Jesus' goodness and grace and love and become his instruments in the world. That's the race that we're given. We're all invited to be the light in the darkness or the salt in the world that has lost its savor. By God's grace, he invites us all to that, but the path that each of us is gonna take is like a, a unique race, and so here, liberated from this invitation to depart is run that one race that you have. How will you do it? Notice, looking to Jesus. And that means don't look at the other racers. They're running their race. You don't look there. Look at Jesus. And, and, and this, it's not in this exact word, but if you read on, you'll see, the one that you look to, the one who is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith is the one who is willing to run with you, but only, only when you run one race, your race, If you go to run someone else's race, Jesus does not promise to run it with you. If you run the race that he sets before you, then you can count on it that you have a companion there running with you to carry you and empower you and strengthen you and encourage you while you are running it. Do not depart. Stay and persevere. And now, if if you're willing to say no to all of those other words, the last word which envy says to you, which is languish, which is stay here in this place Feeling bad about their success, when, when envy tells you that, you're, Jesus says to you, "Don't, don't, don't languish. Thrive. That's the opposite of languishing." grow and be fruitful and become strong and become wonderful and bright as you walk in the pathway that I've given you to walk on, Jesus says. Nonsense, no longer staying stuck in that other place where you're always looking there and wishing you were there instead. Be right where you are, Jesus says, and right where you are, accept this truth that I knew exactly what I was doing when I made you. I made you just as I have on purpose, and I've made you for uniquely wonderful good works in the world which are only you can do and no one else can and accept that and you will thrive. Here's the word of God from Ephesians 2.10. We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. In that moment when, when envy has convinced you to disparage yourself, to feel that there's some deficiency in you that's irreparable, you call this to mind. I am the one who God himself crafted like an absolute masterwork at the hands of an artisan. That's who I am. I'm who he made me to be in Christ Jesus. Have I discovered that yet? Probably not. I myself am constantly working at discovering just who God's made me to be. And I'm gonna tell you this, I stumble along the way, I still do. Sometimes even for me, it's the petty kind of envy that only pastors can suffer from. Do you know that pastors compare themselves to others who are pastors? It's embarrassing to say, but it's true. I stumble along the way with envy just like everybody else, but in those moments, instead of languishing, this word of God invites me to say, Christian, you are the one who God crafted on purpose in Christ Jesus. And if I haven't seen that yet, then I'm invited to experience the unknown as an adventure. I can say, God, what is it? Help me see who you're making me to be. And and if I want to know what kind of instrument are you making me? It says right there, he crafted me with good works in God's mind beforehand, which means before God even made Christian Andrews or whoever you are in the mind of God. Dwell on this for a moment. In the mind of the Almighty was a set of good works which the world needed because the world is broken. And God decided to address those problems by crafting just you for you to walk in that unique path where you would thrive as you walked in the good works that God had in mind when he made you. If you will take these five, these five words of God, and if you will abide in them as Jesus invites us to abide in his word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And I wanna tell you uh, what that will be good for in three ways, okay? First of all, it will be good for you because you know how miserable envy is. It is just so much better to be in a place of contented gratitude. And that's what this invitation gives you. To set aside all of those lies and just be okay. That, it will be so good for you. It, secondly, it will be really good for the people who are near you. They probably are too nice to tell you, but your envy drives them crazy. <laughs> but it will be nice for them. And if you have somebody who's really envious in your life that makes it hard, you're gonna be thinking, oh, it will be so much better for them when they hear this message. So at the end, pass along one of those cards and tell them, listen to this message, please. It will be better for the people around you. But here's a third thing. It will be better for the world, which according to the Bible, God loved so much that he sent his only son to rescue the world. Not just the religious people who go to church on Sunday, but the world is the object of God's love, the cosmos. God loved it so much that he rescued so that we, free from the prisons that we put ourselves in, whether envy or any other imprisoning feeling, would go out into the world that God loves as the objects of his grace and love and light and mercy and healing power. And as we're free from envy, God will use us in that way. And what I want for Renaissance Church is for our church to continue to grow and thrive as a church which is free in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we love you so much for your word, which comes to us and liberates us from the prisons that we put ourselves in. God, for every heart in this room this morning that is shackled with envy, would your light and your spirit come and bring freedom. God, break those chains, Uh, open the prison door, lead us out of those places where we've been trapped by your mercy and grace. Give every one of us the kind of humility to go easy on ourselves because of your love and grace. And then build us up to become people who are grateful and joyful, to become people who rejoice in the blessings that you give to others, even as they rejoice in the blessings that you give to us. And make us a church which is strong in humility so that we can be used by you for good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.